ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of almost all ages, with parental consent. The Sick Twisted Minds at Sacrificial Pond Productions brings you a new style of horror film, like nothing you have seen before. There are no cops, no investigations. There is no backstory, no follow-up of the victims who are brutally tortured and murdered. Our story isn't about them. Normal terror is about a single dad struggling to make ends meet. His son is his first priority. He goes to work, pays his bills, and is generally a great dad. The twist comes after he puts his son to bed. This is where he releases his stress. Some people do yoga, some hit the gym, some go for runs, some people paint on a canvas. An anonymous source once wrote on an abandoned asylum wall, I never understood people until I took one apart just to see how it worked. If you are rear-ended in traffic, most people's thought runs to anger and their primal instincts of hurting the other party. Sam Neill does not have the ability to stop that primal instinct. Let us take you into the mind of a killer. Normal Terror is a concept from the mind of Sam Mason, who wrote, directed, produced, and is starring in this new age feature film. Let's get slicing and dicing with Sir Sturdy Horror fans. On this podcast, you will hear me and a guest do some movie reviews, random funny horror chats, and whatever else comes to mind. So tune in, kick back, relax, and always remember... I'll see you in your nightmares. Well, this station's mask. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another awesome, awesome episode of horror with sir sturdy i have the director and jason and vincent desante is his name awesome awesome guy he played uh in never hike alone that awesome fan-made film it's over on youtube right now they're at about three hundred thirty-two thousand nine hundred and some odd views go check that out if you haven't seen it and vin man what's up how's it going no it's pretty good man how you doing I'm doing great. I'm honored that you came on my podcast, man. This movie, me and my brother did a podcast on it about two or three weeks ago. We released it on Friday the 13th, and this is the first movie that I actually gave a 10 out of all the horror movies we've done so far. I've had 21 episodes out, so this is the first movie I gave a 10 to, and you guys did a great, great job with this. That's awesome. Thanks for that, man. I appreciate it. And I... I'll even say, like, now on Friday the 13th, I'll, I always go through the series with my wife. Well, it'll either take that day or the whole weekend, and this will be added on to that whole thing, <laughs> that whole series. And it's better than a few of those Jason movies by far. So I just want to ask, what, what got you into horror? And, like, um, what was the first movie that scared you, if any, as a child or whatever you wow. got into it? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I got, I got into her. I think like most people who are into horror, I think I got into horror pretty early at a young age. And uh, what got me into it was walking down uh, the horror aisle in the video rental store. I mean, I mean, you walk around an entire video store and like all the covers are pretty like what they are. But you walk down the horror aisle and there's just like another level of artwork that just draws you in because the movies look so crazy. And you're like, what's going on here? I mean, this doesn't look as tame as what's going on in the rest of the store. I wonder what's going on in these films. And so... Um, 
I can't remember if my parents <laughs> restricted me from <laughs> renting at any point, but I want to say they were pretty freewheeling when it came to me renting anything I wanted. Uh, I think the first film I ever watched as a horror film was American Werewolf in London or Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Both scared the hell out of me. Um, and I think that the process of being scared of the film kind of brought me back to watch more of them. Um, and eventually while walking up and down those aisles and starting to get into horror, the Friday the 13th films and their kind of covers always drew me like, well, I wonder what's going on in those films. The, the hockey mask looks cool. I wonder what's up with this. Um, and I think like also a lot of young kids who grew up in the eighties and kind of missed, you know, Friday the 13th as it was coming out. By the mm-hmm. time I started watching horror films, I want to say six or seven of them were already made, um, and out on VHS. So, you know, I started later in the, in, in the, uh, in the timeline and was like, Oh wow, this is amazing, but there's other ones. So I'm going to go back and watch the other ones. And I was one of those kids that like went back and watched the first one and was like, wait, Jason's not the killer. What the hell's going on? And <laughs> you know, in the second one, like, wait, he's, where's the hockey mask? Where, why is he wearing a bag on his head? And like, so it was kind of one of those things where I had to, as a kid to just pique my interest is go back and watch them over and over again, because I watched them all out of order. And then I went and watched them all in order and then finally understood kind of what was going on. Um, and just became a big fan of Friday the 13th ever since. That was an amazing answer right there. Then again, with my second part of that question, what was the movie that really just like scared the shit out of you? Oh, I want to say the first one that really, really scared me was Night of the Living Dead. And I think I think it was a, it was a combination of Night of the Living Dead and then Return of the Living Dead. Okay. Because I watched Night of the Living Dead and I was like, this is so creepy. Like the zombies trying to get into the house, the barricading of the house. Um, we lived in a, the house I grew up in had a lot of windows on the first floor. So I was petrified after watching Never, uh, not Never Hike Alone, <laughs> uh, Return of the Living, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Let me get that one right. Um because I always thought that zombies were going to come back from the dead and just smash through all the windows in our house. And so I was paranoid. I would go and like count the wood that we had in our garage to figure out when, you know, how many, you know, benches or tables or anything that we could put in front of all the glass just to keep everyone out. And then when I watched return of the living dead, even though that film had a, you know, a high level of comedy into it, the fact that the zombies couldn't die petrified me. And it just blew my mind. I was like, how do you get out of that world? And then of course, like the ending of the film is very down and you know, you get the idea that like they're going to come back even after a nuclear explosion. So I think those two films combined really scared the crap out of me as a kid. And then, um, Friday the 13th scared me a lot because I grew up in a more rural area, like in the forest, I grew up on a lake. So anytime I went swimming in the lake, I thought Jason was going to grab my foot. Anytime I was out in the woods, I thought Jason was going to come out from behind a tree and start chasing me. Um, it was just all those things kind of fueled me as a kid and, and kind of messed with my imagination. That's awesome, though. That's such great, great detailed answers right there. I love that. And I'll tell you mine, the movie that scared me, and it's it's funny as hell now looking back at it because this movie's not scary at all, but um, the Creepshow 2 movie, the hitchhiker part. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> Thanks for the ride, lady. Yes, that right there. I remember I was watching it with my older brother and my older cousins at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what got me into horror was them just always wanting to hang around them, trying to be cool and all that, you know, having fun watching horror or whatever. And I wouldn't admit that I was scared of certain movies. But this one right here did it for me. And, like, once the movie was over, I had to use the bathroom, and I was too scared to go by myself. So I had one of them come with me and, like, wait outside the bathroom door until I went and came back out. Like that, I don't know what it was about that movie that scared me so much because just – I recently watched it again. I mean, I've watched it plenty of times. I recently watched it again. I'm just laughing through it. Like, what the, why is this scary? 
But as a yeah, kid, it is, it is pretty silly now. <laughs> as a kid, your imagination does run freaking wild. Oh, yeah. I mean, in fact, it's funny that you mentioned that because as a kid, when my mom used to drop me off at school or drop me off anywhere, when I would close the door, the last thing I would say to her is, thanks for the ride, lady. And then I would like slam the door. <laughs> so like my, that awesome. was like one that was a horror film that me and my mother watched very early on when I was a kid. That's awesome. And I I love the raft one too. The oh, raft yeah. always got to me. Again, growing up on a lake, I always thought I was going to see that little black, whatever that was, yeah. just coming across the top of the lake <laughs> and just swimming for my life. Yep, yep. That's all. Oh man. Now, have you um have you guys done any cons or anything yet? Like horror conventions? Yeah, yeah. We've um we've been to a few so far. So I've been to Crypticon. Okay. In Seattle, which was a lot of fun. We're going to be doing Horror Hound uh, Indianapolis, which will be um, in August 24th to the 27th, okay. I believe. Is that weekend? 24th to the 26th, actually. We're actually going to be screening Never Hike Alone there. We screened it at uh, Crypticon. Um, and we're out to a few more places. We're trying to get in here and there. Uh, we've done a few festivals as well. Um, and then the other thing that we do, which is a lot of fun is sometimes a fan will contact us and say, Hey, I'm renting out a theater or, Hey, I have a hookup at a theater and I want to put together a screening and never hike alone. Can you send me a copy of it? And we have additional Blu-rays that are not like the Blu-rays that we, you know, put through the Indiegogo. They're just burnt so we can, you know, do presentations of it That's and I'll, I'll mail it out to somebody and, and they can put on their own screening of it as well. That's so freaking awesome. I wish I had a connection like that with this con I'm going to. <laughs> Just to get which, uh, which convention is that? Um, it's called Scarecon. It's out here in upstate New York. Okay. They're doing it. I think the Turning Stone. And I would, I would love for you guys to be there if that's all at all possible. That would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, anytime any fans out there, and, and you know, including you, if you want to just hit hit us up over the email, um, what we can do is uh, just contact us with a, a local con or any place that you think that Never Hike Alone would make a good fit. And we're always reaching out to new people and trying to see if there's room for us to screen. I mean, the great thing is it's only a 53-minute movie, mm -hmm. so we fit into a nice little hour-long block. And then if they have the extra time, we do a Q&A. But if we only have an hour, I'll do Q&As outside, <laughs> outside in the hallway and just hang with people. It's, it's you know, I, I love talking to fans. See, now that right there, I think once this interview right here is over, I'm going to have to send you guys something and try to send Scarek on something. Tell them. Hey, if it's possible, get them there because they're freaking. This movie was freaking awesome, man. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, and I think that you know one thing that I that I do enjoy about the movie. Not you know I made it, so I can't really get too too high on it. But one thing I do like doing is showing it to a group of Friday the Thirteenth fans in a theater. Um, it's one thing to watch it on YouTube or if you can get it up on a nice big TV, even on a surround sound system. But when you see it in the theater, you realize how versatile this little movie is. Mm -hmm. um, it's built for the theater. I mean, when we we were originally accepted to the Telluride Horror Show is where we made the debut of the film the same night that we released it on YouTube. And when we found out that we got into that, that festival, we spent two, three months prepping it to be a theatrical film. Um, one that can play in a theater. We have, you know, we have versions of it that have 5.1 surround sound. It's really cool. Like, you know, the shot where the, the, the camera spins around in the main hall where Jason's coming down the hallway. I mean, we do a complete 360 sound uh, design oh, there where you hear Jason kind of pass behind you and then come back to the front. It's really cool. And, you know, it, it gives, you know, if you've never seen the film before, it's the best way to experience. And if you have seen the film before, it's a great way to re-experience it because everything kind of holds up on the bigger screen and you see, you know, a little bit more of what the type of scope that we put into the film when you get to see it on a, on a large screen like that. Now, um, <clears throat> what got you into 
acting slash directing slash writing? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I've always just been a big fan of film. Um, when I grew up, I was actually more of a, I was kind of a jock. I loved, you know, I played baseball, I played football, and I wanted to play professional sports. Um, I ended up suffering a few injuries in my career that probably kept me from from going on beyond what I wanted to do. And as I started to think about what I wanted to do with my life and my career, um, part of it was like TV production or some type of production. And I'd always just been a big movie buff. And the mm -hmm. more I thought about it and kind of put my head to it, the last, the final two years of my college career, I realized that, you know, I should put, I should put a lot of dedication in the film and see if I can make a career out of it. Uh, I switched over to editing, um, as a, as a major before that it was broadcast journalism. And as I started to get into the edit booth and understand how to put films together, it was when I really fell in love with it. Um, and about a year after graduating, a little less, uh, I got an invitation to come out to Los Angeles and get a job as a PA and live with one of my friends who lived out here and just started building my career from there. Uh, I didn't know if at first I just wanted to be an editor, but the more I worked in the industry and the more I got to work with directors and get to work in the pipeline of a film and building a film, I realized that I, I kind of had a calling to, to become a creative leader of a film, you know, being a director. Um, but the path to that isn't very easy. There is no, hey, get in line and, you know, eventually you'll earn your spot to direct something. It's very much you either get a position supporting the director and if you keep doing that you're going to do that for the rest of your life or you have to take a chance and make something um and never hike alone was i would i want to say like one of the steps in me kind of going after that never hike alone was the first time beyond doing shorts with my friends or beyond doing shorts for myself that feel like shorts i wanted to break the code as far as like all right how do we go from like a film that we film on the weekends that feels like it is a film that is filmed on the weekends to something that looks like it was professionally produced. Um, and that's how kind of Never Hike Alone came about was this experiment in trying to create a, a very high level production film with very little money. And for me, that was, it took about eight years of study out here in Los Angeles of understanding, you know, film production and creative, um, you know, creative development and all those things that I had to go and work and do by the time I had got done getting through that in my career was when I kind of felt ready, like, okay, I understand the entire process front to back. Now it's time for me to try something on my own. And it started with little films and then never hike alone came along as an opportunity. And we, you know, ran with it. Um, as far as acting goes, uh, I don't know if I ever really set out to be an actor. The only reason um, I think why I was Jason in this film was one, I was building the costume for myself. It was a cosplay. Originally the film was only supposed to be five to 10 minutes long. And I, I didn't really see a challenge in, um, operating as Jason on camera for what would have been the last two <clears throat> minutes of that film. Um, I was building the costume for myself. It was my personal cosplay. And as the film started to develop, um, and get longer and bigger and, and all these different things was when I realized that I needed to kind of step up my game and started to study it a little bit more, study the films, study the way I walked, the way I moved and put a lot of concentration into it. And, you know, it just came to putting in that dedication. Um, you know, I put in the dedication to becoming a director, put in the dedication to writing and, and everything else. So it was just about putting in that dedication to the acting tools that are needed, even when you're just, you know, someone would think, oh, you're just putting on a mask and swinging a machete around. Well, there's a lot more than that. And I think anyone who's ever put on the costume and tried to film themselves walking around, 
you know, your brain's telling you one thing that, oh yeah, moving just like Jason, this is exactly how he moves. And then you watch yourself on screen. You're like, that's nothing like how Jason moves. <laughs> I was just thinking that way. And so you have to learn, you have to almost reteach your body. Um, what move means what, what type, what speed, like, even though you feel like you're moving incredibly slow, you're actually moving a lot faster than you think you are. So it was about learning body control. It was about learning posture. It was about learning timing. And that came through a lot of practice. And as we were developing the film from a writing standpoint and we were going up to the camp and we were building our sets and doing those things, we would often bring cameras with us to test and do uh, and, and practice. Um, and it gave me time to hone the craft, not only for what it felt for me in the body, but then look at it on screen and go, okay, when I move like this, this is the issue. And then we fix it here. So I got to remember this and I got to remember that. So there's a lot of practice that went into it. Um, and yeah, and acting's fun. Um, I see it as less of a, I mean, I want to direct, I want to do all those other things. Acting, I mean, I, I don't think I would ever pursue acting full time, even though it is a lot of fun. I see it as more of like the fun side of it. If I can get in and act a little bit, it will be pretty fun. But, you know, I probably wouldn't um, rush to become a full time actor or, <laughs> or do any of that with my career. Okay. You, well, you did excellent as Jason. That was just the movements and everything was good. It was fun. And I mm -hmm. like how in this movie, how it was like, um, I know you can say Jason's kind of like a hunter, but you were like more of a hunter. Like when Jason was on screen, he was on screen. It really was real powerful. Mm -hmm. But you didn't see him too, too. You didn't see him too much, and it wasn't bad for this film at all. It was just, I love. Oh man, <laughs> I, I, I keep trying to tell people. I'm like, listen, if you haven't seen this movie, go watch this movie because you will really, really be a fan of it after you watch it. And I, um, I honestly went into the movie with lower expectations. So I'm like, you know, I don't know what to expect, and I can't. When I was done with this movie, I was like, holy shit, wow. <laughs> Well, I, I think most people go into a fan film with a certain expectation, and that was one thing we knew that was kind of working on our side, and one of the reasons why we structure the film the way we do. It's it's not only – the film isn't your traditional Friday, obviously. There's not usually 1v1. It's not an adventure story. It's not a survival story. It's a, you know, it's a hack and slash mm -hmm. um, formulaic movie, and so what we wanted to do is show that you could take the element of Jason – and you can insert him into other formulas and make him just as effective, if not more effective, for audiences that are tired of the same old thing. Um, and for this movie, the way it develops is, you know, we kind of come off, we kind of start off with a bang from a cinematic standpoint because we wanted to show the vastness of this area that we were shooting in in Big Bear, California. It's like Big Bear, Angeles Oaks, kind of mixed and matched. Um, and we opened it up with the drone shots and things like that. We wanted to show people right off the bat, like, this isn't your typical fan film. We're going to show a little bit more scope. There's a little bit more thought that's going into the cinematography. And, you know, there's going to be some production value here. And slowly but surely as the film goes on, not only does it increase in production value, but it also slowly but surely turns into a Friday the 13th film. It's it starts off as an adventure film and ends as a Friday the 13th film. And I think as we go along and we introduce more elements and we tease more of the Friday the 13th along the way, fans really get excited. And then once they get on board with the Friday the 13th aspect of it, we then kind of ramp up the production value, you know, first by going to that camp and all the production that we did in the camp as far as building the sets and just giving it, you know, more life and then starting to do more of the stunts and then more of the effects work and eventually, you know, our big reveal at the end. And so it was kind of, it's kind of like this nice building 
um, crescendo of, of surprises that I don't think fans who are going to sit down and watch a 53 minute YouTube video. I, I think that their expectations will always be like, okay, yeah, I know you told me it was good, but you know, how good can it be? And then by the time they get to an end of it, they go, Oh, it can be that good. Okay. <laughs> Ex- oh man. That's my thought. Exactly. I was just like, I, cause I seen the movie, I kept seeing people posting it and posting it on Facebook and I was like, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. It's only an hour. I mean, check it out, and like I said, I'm I'm so happy I did check it out, and I just, it's just amazing. Like I, I'm even at the point I had said this on another podcast, and I was just discussing this with my brother earlier today. I was like, I would love to see the legal issues with the whole Friday the Thirteenth franchise get taken care of, and have people who have the talent like you guys do, fan to just take over and be the production of the Friday the 13th franchise because you're a fan of the movie, you're a fan of the franchise, and you, like, really care about it. And it wouldn't be like you guys are doing it for a money grab. You guys are doing it because you're passionate about the films. And I really think you guys can do better than these big producers now with this movie just because you give a shit about it. Well, I think that that goes a lot to what's going to be – whatever the next Friday the 13th film is, no matter who does it either way, mm-hmm. I think it does have to come from a place of like you love the franchise and you want to see it not only go into a next movie but you know maybe two or three more. Um, there's a lot of life left in this series. There's a lot of directions that it can go and there's a lot of things that you can do with it. Um, and – you know, one of the things that I said when I first moved out to L.A., the one movie that I've always wanted to work on is a Friday the 13th. And the deeper I got into my career, the more I realized that the only way I was ever going to work on a Friday the 13th is if I just made one myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, like I said, it was only going to be a five minute thing when I originally got into this venture. Um, and it only turned into a larger product once we discovered that abandoned camp. Um, but, yeah, I mean, now I think that this is, you know, it's cool when I hear, you know, fans say we'd love for you to direct the next friday we'd love for you to to direct the next friday and like that would be a dream come true um it would also be a dream come true just to be associated with it um even just getting a chance as a fan to go into one of the big production companies and say listen if you guys are going to do this and you want to hire somebody who's had you know handled a you know five ten fifteen million dollar budget before and you you know you're going to feel more confident with that at least let me come in and tell you as a fan or at least let me suggest to you as a fan what we want to see and what we don't want to see and the types of timelines that you can go through to explore jason or the types of things that you know really aren't going to set well with fans you're going to end up losing a lot of people um for example i, I don't know if, if you have like i have read basically every single script that's come out in the last 10 years that were supposed to be a Friday the 13th film. And the last one that they were going to make was going to be far off from, from what fans are looking for. Um, even though the production company is very confident in that script, I feel as a fan, I am not confident in that script at all. Three killers in the film, one of them being Elias, the other, you know, then Pamela, then Jason, and the oh, way it's all kind no. of all put together was it for me, I was like, this is not the Friday the 13th film I want to see. And, even dating back to 2009, I was like, I went into that film with very high expectations and I walked out wondering why I didn't like it. I was like, how did I not like this film? Like, what was wrong with this thing? And it was actually the 2009 film that I think inspired me to do Never Hike Alone because I was like, they were so close, but they kept making all these weird, odd decisions that everything I read about the film, they actually negated what they told me what they were going to do. They actually kind of stepped back. So why don't I take their approach of what they were trying to do and put my spin on it and say, this is what Jason should look like now. If you're going to put him in a jacket and you're going to do all these things, he should more look like this. If 
it's going to be more grounded and more real. It should feel like that. Even though Jason is undead in our movie, we still kind of put it in this, in this, um, how do I say it? The, in this realm where, you know, he still feels tactile and real. He doesn't feel too over the top supernatural. He feels like, you know, it, it kind of feels right. It feels like it's a good balance between the mix. It's still very much grounded and he feels real, but at the same time we get to see him unleash some small supernatural abilities. And, you know, we start to see that, you know, there's something supernatural about him just by little ticks and things like that. Like the removal of the mask, you can obviously tell that's not a living person. The fact that he pulls an ax out of his neck and sits up, you can tell that's not a living person. And we wanted to show that to me, the scariest things about Jason is that you can do anything you want to him and he's going to keep coming after you. And I don't want to get muddied in the, definitely don't want to get muddied in the world of, wait, is he human? Is he undead? Like if he's human, how is he surviving all of these things? Which I thought 2009 did. I thought that the biggest mistake 2009 made was trying to somehow logic out that he's human, that he lives in tunnels and that he is, even though he is completely human, that he can still survive all these things. And I know you're supposed to leave some stuff at the door when you go into these films, but I felt kind of let down by that. I was like, I don't feel like you gave me, I feel like you made the same mistakes that the film made in the eighties and we're willing to give the films in the eighties because they're films from the eighties. But now you're making films for today's audience audiences and you can't, get away with the same stuff and you can't rely on the same formulas. And I feel like a lot of that was just a rehash of stuff that we had seen before, but because we had seen it before and experienced it for the first time and loved it, seeing it again for a second time sort of slightly changed. It just took away that feeling of being new. I just felt like I was getting regurgitated stuff all the time and that I didn't feel satisfied by it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I actually agree. I never even thought of it, but now that you're saying, I'm like, I agree with that with the 09 film. Honestly, one of my biggest things with the 09 film that I can think of off the top of my head that bothered me was, I wish it was a lot darker and not so much, not so jokey. Like I like how the mm -hmm. Friday the 13th films are usually. I mean, yeah, you have your few places here and there in the movie where you got some laughs or whatever minor jokes. But I felt like this one was overdoing it. Like I like a dark, quiet, crazy Friday the 13th bloody film, and then. Another thing that bothered me about the re the reboot the reboot remake whatever you want to call it is, I wish they would have done it in the '80s style, like back you know instead of doing it like up to date. I wish it was in the mm -hmm. '80s more like um how they did it how they did it back in the '80s, but they did you know the remake or whatever. I thought they did a great job with that. That bothered me about that movie, but with your guys' movie, it seemed like it worked perfect, and I just I loved that. And I thought with the um the GoPro camera, I thought that was kind of cool because I'm like okay, I can kind of relate to that because. People do go out, say they go out hiking or go out doing whatever, and they're just recording themselves, doing whatever the hell they're doing. I like how you guys shot it with that and shot it with like the, the other cameras. So it was kind of, mm -hmm. and it was fun. And one thing I did bring up in my episode was when, um, what was his name in the movie, Kyle? When yeah, he Kyle. got When he got thrown out the the cabin from the top and he, his camera dropped, his camera actually got damaged. Like, I mm -hmm. really like that in the movie because I've seen other movies. I can't think of any right now, but I've seen other movies where, Somebody gets thrown around, their camera gets dropped, and then they pick it up, and there's, like, nothing wrong with it. I'm like, what, what the hell? <laughs> that right there just stood out to me. Like, that was freaking awesome. I liked how during the movie with his camera, how you've seen the battery was going down throughout the whole movie. You usually mm -hmm. don't see just small details like that mean, like, a, a big, big thing to fans, and you don't really see that in movies a lot. Yeah, so. no, I know. I think paying attention to detail, even though sometimes it's minute, um, can be a big, can be a cool thing. I think that it's it's 
stuff like that is, is I think is great for the rewatch factor. It's like when you go back and watch it and then you notice these things because you're like, Oh wow, look, they actually tracked that. Or they were thinking about this and that. And you know, if you watch never hike alone and you really take the time to study it, you can see that there's a lot of things that we set up in the first half that all pay off in the second. Like everything has a piece. Everything happens for a reason. There's no, you know, we don't put a lot of fat on the film other than walking around the camp because another thing that of 2009 that bothered me was when we went back to the Crystal Lake, I, I like wanted to look around. You know what I mean? I wanted yeah. to actually take the camp in and I feel like that film brushed over it. And the best we, we got out of it was a bed with Jason scribbled <laughs> in the That's headboard. True. And I went, all these years I've been waiting to see the inside of Crystal Lake and what it looks like today and I get a headboard with Jason written in it. Come on, you can do better than that. You can you can drop better Easter eggs and you can do better callbacks than this. And that was part of why I went and did the red ribbons and things like that. Um, with the GoPro, you know, it was kind of funny when we talked about throwing throwing Andrew out. Um, one of the directors of photography, JD Martz, he does a lot of um, car commercials, and he's you know got a ton of GoPros and he's always strapping them to cars and doing stuff. And one time during a shirt, uh, shoot, maybe like two years ago, one of his GoPros fell off, got run over, got crushed, and so he had this case that was all crushed and cracked. So he's had this thing. He's like, I've always wanted to use it for something. And so when we threw Andrew out of that window or that door. We were like, oh, this is the perfect place for it. We can actually do the we'll, – we'll work it into this scene where as it's rolling around and we see it kind of come back up once it goes dark, we'll actually see that the case is cracked and you'll see all of those broken pieces of glass that are on your case sticking into the lens, which will then um, which will then show up and make it look like the entire camera's broken. So, yeah, that was, that was kind of a cool little, like, afterthought that we did. But we were trying to think of ways to do it. Like, originally it was, oh, do we have to do it digitally because digitally it won't look that great. Um, we won't have time to make it look as good as it should and it might take away from the film but it was good that we had something practical that we could apply to the camera that made it look like it was more broken than it really was oh man that that was just to me that was just perfect i was just like that's so freaking awesome it's a it's a minor detail that maybe a lot of people won't really pick up on but once you pick up on that and see it you're just like wow that just makes this movie so much freaking better now, how did you, Thanks. um, you're welcome. How did you guys get a, a hold of, uh, the great Tom Matthews? Oh, that's a good story. Um, actually Tom was, was brought on board by our, uh, executive producer, Barry J. Um, Barry was, um, he had some friends that he was doing a business deal with and as they were trying to, you know, settle on terms and stuff like that, one of the things they did while they were going through their process was, uh, put Barry and Tom together as just a meet and greet because they knew how much of it, like Barry is a gigantic Friday the 13th fan. He was one of our earliest backers. You know, he backed us privately after our first Kickstarter failed um, and believed in us from the very beginning and, you know, helped us get a lot of things uh, done. And without him, we wouldn't have been able to do the film. Then on top of that, he gets put on this meet and greet with Tom Matthews going to dinner with him. And over this dinner, I mean, it was it, I have to say that it wasn't just to go and get Tom for the movie. It was a dinner just to go and say how much of a big fan he was, just get a chance to hang out with him for a little bit and talk about the films that he had been in. And to Barry's credit, at the end of the dinner, he kind of pulled Tom aside. He was like, listen, like I'm actually – you didn't know this, but I'm actually um, producing a Friday the 13th fan film called Never Hike Alone. You should see the trailer for it. And so he showed Tom our trailer, the first one that we released in May of 2016. And now this is – at this point, it's November or 
September or November 2016. So many months later, Tom had not seen the trailer yet, had no clue that we existed. Um, Barry showed it to him and Tom was like, wow, that's really impressive. I think like you, he's like, oh God, a fan film. And then saw the trailer and went, <laughs> oh, oh, there's, there's something here. Um, so that's cool. And, and, you know, to Barry's credit again, he was like, well, if you think it's cool, would you want to be in it at all or do a cameo or do something? And he was like, yeah, I'll think about it. And so Barry got in touch with me and said, listen, I, I got Tom interested. You should go and do a, a meet with him, go have a meeting with him and pitch him the movie, tell him what you're up to, show him all the new footage that you guys got. Cause we were shooting all that fall and, and building what would have become our second trailer. Um, and I was like ecstatic. I was like, I can't believe it. This is, this is amazing. Like if we can get Tom in the film, this is going to be amazing. And, and at the time it was really, you know, I was like, I, I wonder where he's going to fit in. We had the ambulance scene, not as it's finalized now, but we had an ambulance scene in there. And we had a moment where the, the driver was supposed to jump scare everybody and make everybody think that, you know, Jason was coming into the ambulance. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, I think if he plays this ambulance driver, that would be good. And went into this meeting, basically, you know, telling Tom how much of a big fan of his I was showing him the film, pitching him the story, you know, showing him all the new footage. I show him the new trailer, which he was like, wow. He's like, I thought your last trailer was good. This one's really good. And I said, listen, I got this idea. If you play the EMT, if you play the driver, um, I think that this will be a good opportunity for us to tell our story and not try to shoehorn you in and then have you show up at the end after all these people. Like the way I saw it at the time was, okay, they're going to see the film. First, they're going to be drawn in by the scope and the scale. They're going to see the camera work and, and really like it. And then they're going to start to see our stunts. And then they're going to see our effects work. And then by the time they're like, how did these guys even pull this off? You're going to show up on film. And then you're really going to make everybody happy. Um, and that's what fans have asked for for a long time is for Tommy to return. And so after that, we, you know, the scene as it was was very simple. And I said, listen, with you in it, we want to give you more screen time. It's not just going to be you opening the door, shutting it and driving off. Let's, let's do something a little bit more. I'll try to figure out a way to raise a little bit more money so we can, you know, film longer, uh, get more assets and things like that. Um, and we'll go from there. And so basically with half the film done and then us approaching a second Kickstarter, it was like, we had Tom, we, uh, we had to write a new ending and we had to finish the film. So it was a cool opportunity that we decided to sit on. You know, we didn't just go off and run to the internet and say, we got Tom Matthews, like, woohoo, give us your money. It was, you know, I think this is a better, I think this is better kept secret. I think this is something that when a fan sits down and watches it and experiences it for the first time and doesn't know that Tom's in it, and spoiler alert, I guess, <laughs> but it's been out for so long now, I guess yeah. you're the washer, you haven't. Um, that, you know, it, it's kind of this moment for fans to sit back and just be surprised. You know what I mean? I, I think that Friday the 13th at the, at the time needed it. Um, you know, at around January is when they, they canceled the film. Um, and originally when Never Hike Alone was coming out, we were definitely focusing on staying out of the big film's way and trying to just get people interested in Friday the 13th so we could maybe just catch a little bit of that wave and then move on our merry way. And when they canceled that film, um, you know, we, it, we were going to do like an August release. We were like, well, if that opens up October 13th, then we should totally go for Friday the 13th in October and just, and just try to make as many Friday the 13th fans happy because we're all depressed that <laughs> there's no new film coming out this year. Um, and then also having Tom, I was like, this is going to be great. So on Friday the 13th, October, 2017, you know, the 40,000 people that watched it that first night or, you know, 
through that weekend, you know, I hope that for the most part, most of them just got, you know, jumped out of their chair screaming when they saw Tom. Um, and that was kind of the point. The point was to kind of build up to that moment and have those doors open and it's complete fan service. But at the same time, we were like, the fans need a little servicing right now. It's been almost 10 years since the last film. It's been almost 30 years since we've all seen a film as fans that we've all like really rallied behind. I want to say part six was maybe the last film that fans have really, you know, can get behind in unison and say, yeah, we all love that film. Yeah. You know, very little will say that they don't. And then you get into seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, Freddy versus Jason and, and the remake, and you'll get mixed reviews across the board. Um, and, and I think that fans needed something to cheer about. Tom was like the perfect thing for, for fans to cheer about. Um, because I think with Jason getting woken up in the later films, the only person who's really going to be able to put him back is Tommy. So why not introduce him? Uh, it also allowed us to open up the door for what could be a sequel because it was a kind of a message to the studios to say like, listen, if you're going to tell a story, bring back Tom and let's tell his story. Where has he been for the last 30 years? Where's Jason been for the last 30 years? I mean, obviously Hollywood has no problem retconning and fast forwarding through sequels that nobody wanted to see. So yeah. let's do that with Tom. Um, and, and kind of, we'll just kind of wave a wand over everything that happened after part six and say, yeah, maybe some stuff happened here and there. He was definitely let out and maybe he went to New York and maybe some of this stuff happened, but for the most part, people haven't seen him and let's pick up with a fresh story that feels like everything's rebeginning again. Um, and kind of take it from there. Oh man, that's awesome. Like the, the Tom, that was such a huge surprise just seeing him in there. My jaw just dropped. I was like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> and then I like how you guys connected it with the franchise. I can't remember his exact quote, but remember me, Maggot Head or something? Yep. And I was hey, like, remember me, asshole. There you go. Remember me. I remember him saying Maggot Head in there, too. But remember yeah, me, he goes, hey, Maggot Head, remember me, asshole. Which was a, it was actually an improvised go. line that we did during one of our rehearsals. It was kind of, we were throwing, I was like, we got to get a one liner out here. And I think it might have been Barry who said, I think. I think Barry said, remember me, and then I was the one who was like, let's put asshole on the end of that, because it'll actually be really funny. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. And, like, when he said that, too, I was like, holy shit. I love how they just made it so it was like, this movie was kind of connected to the timeline, you know what I mean? And how he was, because mm -hmm. how he was in the other movies. And I was just like, that right there just did it for me, because you guys could have went either way. You guys could have just acted like he had nothing to do with Jason, never met Jason. This could have been a whole alternate thing, but nope. And I was like, yes, that, yes, hell fucking yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, thanks. That that was awesome. So as a fan, thank you for just, just that part, the whole movie. But that part right there was just like, yep, that, that bumped it up the last notch I needed to bump up to for me. Yeah, we really wanted to, you know, at the end, raise the, even keep raising the stakes of the film, raise the production value. Um, you know, the, the ambulance sequence is very different from the rest of the film because you're obviously now enclosed and there's people around and there's, you know, and it's got a little bit of the tone of Friday the 13th. We wanted to pepper that in there too by making the characters a little funnier. Um, and, you know, wh whether or not, like Kyle not knowing where he is and all these, these things, um, that was kind of part of it. And with Tommy, it was funny because when we originally were making Never Hike Alone, one of the things I told my crew was if this is good enough and we can get it in front of somebody like Tom Matthews, it would be really cool to like continue the story of Kyle and have him seek Tom out because after, you know, very early on, we always knew that, that Kyle was going to get away. I did want to kill him at one point, but one of our other executive producers kept begging me to <laughs> make him survive. <laughs> so I was like, all right, if we're going to survive, I got to at least like kick the crap out of him. 
um, and have him barely get out. But even though he was going to barely survive and barely get out, um, that surviving might have not have been the greatest thing. That surviving actually might have been worse than dying because now he's cursed and he's haunted by Jason just like Tommy. And there's going to be something that's going to draw him to the other survivors to try and figure out what's going on with him. And we could do maybe a series on YouTube or something like that. We wanted to explore it. So when Tom came a part of the film early on, we were able, actually able to kind of get rid of all that stuff and be like, we don't have to go search for Tommy because Tommy's still in town. And we know how to... We, I was like, I know exactly how to tie him in, and I know exactly how to tie it back to the old films because I'm such a student of, of the franchise. It's like, I think I, I was like, let's set that world up now. And really it's a world of, as a fan, I think it's reflective of how I've seen the series. I feel like it's been a long time since I've seen the Jason that I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen Jason on screen in the last 30 years, but it's not the Jason I know. Um, it's some other weird amalgamation of... of some other somebody else's idea of what they think Jason is, and I don't necessarily agree with it, and I don't necessarily I'm really interested in the stories that they were trying to tell with with those versions of him, even though I have a lot of fun with Jason X. Jason goes to hell can be fun on its on its own as a standalone. Um, Freddy versus Jason is a little bit too kid popcorny for me. It's you know Jason's kind of dulled down and he's kind of Frankensteiny, and I wish that there was a little bit more. Um, I wish there was a little bit more to him in that film. I also don't really like the design. And 2009, I, th- I thought, was kind of a departure for what Jason was to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with Never Hike Alone, I was like, you know what? In this world, like that stuff, I don't know if it exists, but what I know is is that Jason has been missing for 30 years and Tom has been looking for him and neither have found each other. And the one person who's going to lure Jason out is our character from Never Hike Alone, Kyle, who's going to wake up the beast. So after 30 years of waiting, not knowing if the monster was going to return, finally you do a return. And that's how you can kind of launch into a sequel for this film, which would be really fun. And so we went back and kind of peppered things through Never Hike Alone 1 as we were thinking about how it could connect into a future film and how this is going to kind of reawake uh, reawake the uh, the original properties uh, storyline. I would love to see a sequel or sequels done by you guys with this movie because that the first thing I thought when the movie's going off and Jason's kind of walking behind the ambulance I'm like this mm-hmm. can go in so many different amazing directions I really hope that something else comes I was like if it ends like this that's cool but if they add on to it that's that's also cool like it's just I love the way it ended I loved it was just it was cool and I'm I remember another thing I mentioned on my podcast. We and my um, brother were talking about, like, what would bother you about the movie a little bit. I was like, I wish there was more kills. But I was like, at the same time, it doesn't bother me that much because the movie is called Never Hike Alone. So it's this guy going Mm -hmm. out hiking alone, kind of exploring. And he's not expecting to go bump into Jason. He's just, you know, going to hike, see some nice views out in nature. And, shit, he happens to bump into – he happens to unfortunately bump into Jason, who he didn't even believe existed because – that was another part I like is when he was in the cabin sitting in front of the um the fireplace and he was talking about talking to the camera about how his brother was talking to him, telling him about, you know, Camp Crystal Lake and this, that and the third. And it was just like you know, an old wise tale, urban legend myth or whatever, and he didn't believe it. And I never get every single time I've watched the Friday the thirteenth movies where they tell you know, they tell a little story, I never get tired of hearing that story. I don't know what it is about that story. I'd, I'd never get tired of it. And then Jason's like, Yes, I am real motherfucker, here I am, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was fun. It was fun to, to kind of retell the story. Um, there were certain details that I definitely slipped into our version to make sure that we wanted to set up like an undead version. Um, mm-hmm. I went with definitely Tom McLaughlin's take on it that 
you know, in part six, Tommy says, I have to return him to the place where he originally died, and that's the lake. And so we wanted to come off of that kind of lore. We didn't want to try to say, like, oh, he actually survived, because then that little scene of him trying to do a, a GoPro confession would have been 20 minutes long trying to explain, well, then, you know, he apparently he survived, and he was out in the woods eating fish and other things and collecting stuff and built the shack, and it was like, you know... <laughs> Maybe he just came back after his mom died, and he's just been out in the woods haunting this place ever since. Um, that makes a lot more sense, and it's very easy. It's easier to tell that story. Um, that was kind of part of it. And then, yeah, we wanted to definitely play on the fact that, you know, the the two aspects that work for Never Hike Alone in this film is the fact that as as Andrew is discovering, oh, can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Sorry. I just I, I think I got a little feedback. Um, that. You know, as Andrew's discovering Crystal Lake, you can see that there are barriers there that have been put up by other people. And the fact that it's not on the map, the fact that there's supposed to be a wildlife preserve, but there's a camp on this wildlife preserve. So you see that that the townspeople have taken some precaution in this land. They know it's cursed. They know that there's something out there and they know that it could be very dangerous. Um and Kyle just sees it as a wildlife preserve. I mean, finding Camp Crystal Lake is not what he expected. He's not set out to go find it. But when he does find it, it just it's funny to him because he's heard the stories about it. And he's not from, you know, he's not from Crystal Lake, so he doesn't know the stories for real. Um, small little details. If you notice the the license plate on his truck as he's driving out, it's actually a New York license plate. Okay. So he's from a state over. So, you know, I'm thinking about the game of telephone and like hearing from his brother, he would have been young at that time when everything was happening in the eighties. So he didn't experience it firsthand. And I remember when I was originally pitching this film to people back in the fall, trying to explain how he saw it. It was like, do you remember Jonestown back in the seventies? No, I don't. Okay, so like Jim Jones uh, was a he was kind of one of those cult leaders who gave everybody Kool Aid. It's kind of a famous story, and then he killed all his all his uh, followers down in uh, South America, and then killed himself. And so it's a it's a story as I grew as, when I was growing up that I heard about. But if you would ask me to tell you the finer details of Jim Jones and whatever the the people's something that he created, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to tell you the finer details. I would just be able to tell you the bullet points. And so in Andrew's you know, recollection of what Friday the 13th and Camp Crystal Lake and, you know, the long night at Camp Blood, what he remembers is, oh yeah, I remember that this actually happened. Like Pamela actually killed people. That That's real. We solidify that that's real with the ribbons and everything after it. It's kind of a, it's kind of hard to believe. So it's got to be an urban legend, right? I mean, people are just so scared that they'll create any story that they want to keep people out of here. But it's amazing to me because it's like, Obviously, they never opened up this place because of that stupid legend. And look how beautiful it is. I can't believe it. Like, no one's ever going to be able to come back here just because people believe in some dumb ghost story. And we thought that that was a good perspective for our character to have. So it would ground him as he's walking through, you know, wondering why he's not running away right away. Well, I mean, to him, he's got a YouTube podcast or a YouTube channel that would you know, skyrocket in views if he can show the things that he's about to see. So he's going to, you know, toughen himself through that. And even though he does get scared a little bit here and there, he just moves on and try to takes it with a grain of salt and move on thinking that if I can get all this footage and I can do a documentary of, of Crystal Lake, this is going to be great for my channel. And so there's a lot of incentive for him to one, look tough on camera <laughs> so he doesn't so he doesn't lose any followers or think that he's a wimp and two, get all this footage and get out of there and you know hopefully you know get a few new sponsors get you know even bigger and badder shovel companies to to back him and and do all this stuff um 
and go from there. But yeah, when he finally discovers that the legend is true and he finally goes beyond the threshold of just the exterior of the camp and getting really into the center of the labyrinth and finding Jason's lair where he's set up shop and where he's been hiding all these years. Um, finally, the secret is uncovered and Jason can no longer stay in hiding and he has to take care of this guy. And that's when the film kind of does a 180 and turns into, you know, now the, the cat and mouse game for the rest of the film. Which, again, the cat and mouse game was so fun. I like how it, I like how it dragged out throughout the movie because, like, you know, usually in a Jason movie, the first character Jason sees, the first few, they're, they're killed. Mm-hmm. And with this, it was just, it was done so amazing. And I remember, actually, I remember the, um, the scene where they were putting the IV in Kyle's arm. And it was showing, yeah. like, right before that, where he was freaking out, and they were, like, showing him. He seen himself, like, outside the ambulance and ended up by the water. And Jason got him and grabbed him by his head. The first time I seen that, I was like, holy shit, did this just really happen? And I'm <laughs> like, who else is going to be in the movie to just, like, is this going to end here? What's going to happen next? Are his friends going to come try to find him? What's what's going on? And you find out that it didn't really happen. I was like, either way, that was, that would, it was just fucking amazing. It looked so cool, jumping out of the water and just squeezing his head like that. I was like, that was fucking awesome and yeah just... we wanted to figure out how to do um yeah obviously like as a friday the 13th fan my first instinct making a friday the 13th movie would have been a body count film mm-hmm. um with the resources we had we had one guy so we were like well like this isn't your typical thing so what we're gonna have to do is one you know bring up the tension um let's get our gore out by creating injuries or cool stunts that look like they hurt that gonna make people wince like when he hits the tree or oh, yes. when he gets smacked or when he falls out you know it's a like even like, yeah, we don't have multiple kills, but, you know, instead of a kill, I, you know, we came up with a camera sequence of that camera hitting the ground. You know what I mean? So it, mm-hmm. it's an impactful moment that affects the, the sex of the audience. Um, the other being, yeah, the, the head crush at the end, which was like, this will be a really cool graphic effect that we'll be able to wash away because it's just one of our cool. It's a, it's a typical Friday the 13th dream sequence, which happens at the end of basically every single film in some way, shape or form or in the first three, at least. Um, we wanted to play back on that and be like, this is a great way to put in a great prosthetic, get a really high level kill, but then bring our character back, have people understand that it's a dream sequence and then get a few more kills out of it and then hit the road. Um, which was a lot of fun, but yeah, I mean like, you know, there was, was one version of the script where Andrew getting his head crushed was the final kill of the film. Um, and that was it. I mean, he was dead. And then there was another version where he, sur- you know, it's a it's a dream sequence. They drive away. Everybody survives. And the way we were going to continue the story was that Andrew's character eventually does go missing and his brother's the one who comes looking for him. Ooh. And that's how we were going to kind of tell the story is that he comes to town. Um, he's found like his brother's notes and he found a bunch of other stuff that, you know, he was he was returning to Crystal Lake because he wanted to prove that Jason was true. All of his footage was messed up and he never actually really got a great shot of Jason. Um, so everybody thought he was lying. And, um, and he went back to prove it and then he went missing and his brother has to go find him, uh, which was a pretty cool little story before, you know, and, and in that story, he was going to seek out Tom because Tom's name came up in uh, in the in the research that, that Andrew's, you know, that Kyle was doing. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be a cool, you know, you, you kind of touched on something that we were going to explore at one point before we brought Tom into the mix uh, earlier on. That, that right there is awesome. And like, <clears throat> after I watched that movie, I was discussing it with my friend. I was like, you know, they could, I was like, they, they did this right. I was like, but well, they could have went in so many different directions. I was like, again, with the, the head crushing scene, I was like, it would have been cool. Say, 
you guys did the head crushing scene. You were just saying how having his brother come find him. I was saying if his friends came to look for him and say he wasn't actually dead yet, so mm. they're coming to look for him. They went <laughs> to the camp, and they say they eventually find him. Kyle's the one that ends up surviving, and his friends are the ones that kind of get picked off throughout the thing as they're you know looking for him. Someone finds him, they get him mm-hmm. help, but then Jason comes out of nowhere. That was one of our ideas. We just kept throwing ideas yeah, back that, and forth with that was each definitely other. an idea that we had it was like kyle was actually going to be living in the woods like his brother was going to find him living in the woods and he was going to be completely crazy and he was going to have to try to convince him to come home and we were actually going to we were exploring things of like you know something as crazy as camp crystal lake burned down wow yeah and that whatever he wandered into was like a ghost version of it and it doesn't wow. always appear it only appears in certain times. It only appears on Friday the 13th or something like that. That's a And idea. it only appears on Jason's birthday. So he's been out there waiting for another Friday the 13th, waiting for this to happen again. And nobody believes him. They think he's crazy. And then they go back and it finally uncovers it. And they kind of find it. And it was, you know, these are just wild theories like that yeah. we wanted to explore. But it's kind of a cool, it's kind of a cool concept. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, you, I mean, yeah, these things can go a thousand different ways. Um but as far as like where we want to take the film, that's already been well thought out. And we think that out of all the ideas we've come up with and all the things that we've pitched around that Never Hike Alone 2 as it stands right now um, in its outline and written form is kind of, I mean, it's, I think it's the Friday the 13th film that people have been waiting for. I think it's a brand new fresh take without breaking any of the old lore. It actually takes all the old lore into account and puts it through, you know, a very, you know, very um streamlined story that makes very much sense that you understand where all the characters motivations are and then you get a lot of fun with jason you get a lot of great jason action and then the ending leaves it open again for you to interpret what's going to happen next um you know it gives a good closure somewhat closure to tommy's story um and obviously gives closure to kyle's story in, in the way that tommy and kyle have to come together and figure out this you know figure out what's going on and how to stop Jason this time um, from there. And then kind of talking back about something before, it was like, you know, one of the things we do get is like as that drone is kind of flying up and it's the end of the movie and people are like, oh, man, you couldn't like get 20 more minutes out of it. We literally took the budget that we had for a 22-minute piece and stretched it into a 53-minute piece. So it was a lot of, you know, coming up with very, you know, inexpensive ideas to elongate the – um, runtime of the movie based on a budget that was built for something much shorter. And when everyone's like, Oh, make it another 20 minutes and make it a full feature. It's like, man, (laughs) if I had more money, I totally would have, but we were stretching every dollar that we could as it was. So, um, I really wish I could have extended the scene and could have followed him what happens because there's something really cool that that happens right after the end where it never hike alone picks up. It's like, that's not the end of the fight. It keeps going. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's no way I could have on our budget afforded what I really want to do with as, as that fight unfolds and Tommy starts to get his bearings and starts to come back and then, and come back at Jason. Oh man, that's hey, you can always do some stuff in the sequel though. So that's, Oh man, that's, that's exactly. Just awesome. Yeah. At the end of the day, we knew that like we had, what we had was a good setup for a sequel and that if we had the opportunity, this is a great showpiece to show even, you know, a new line cinema or a Blumhouse or, you know, a ghost house or anybody who's going to pick this thing up. If, if platinum dunes picks it up or if anybody picks it up showing that like, listen, like this is your, I mean, do you remember when, uh, the legendary Godzilla came out in like 2014 and a lot of films do this. They release almost a, uh, a little graphic novel that kind of sets up a little bit more of the film for fans who are really into it. Yeah. We, we feel like never hike alone is the 
YouTube graphic novel that you can watch before watching what could be Friday the 13th Part 3, 13, that would tell a lot of the story that will be missing from that because it's just small details and it's it's kind of Kyle's point of view and it's it's his point of view throughout the entire film. And what Part 13 is, is a film, or Never Hike Alone 2 rather, because we're not, we're not officially making 13 and no one is right now, um, is it's all from Tommy's perspective. So those questions of like, well, how did Tommy find him? Well, how did this happen and how did that happen? That all gets answered from Tommy's perspective. And we didn't want to spend time trying to establish him and do all that stuff because, again, we only had so much time to film. We only had so much budget that we can go out there and shoot with. So we had to pick out the specific moments that we're going to tell the story, even though, yeah, we would have liked to expand on the ambulance scene a little bit more. Uh, we would have liked to expand on the world a little bit more. But when you're working with a budget, um, you have to figure out where to focus it and how to tell the pieces of the story that are essential to telling the story. And even though there are things that you would like to include, sometimes you have to kill your darlings and say, you know, I mean, it would be nice to include this little part, but we can't afford it. And we don't have the time and the schedule to do it or the time and the schedule to do it from the standpoint of money and from just getting the film done and completed for October 13th. Wow, man, that's, <laughs> that's wow. I would love to see you guys get picked up by somebody big like that, but I, I would like to see you guys get picked up by somebody big like that, but not somebody that's going to try to change your guys' ideas at the same time and water it down or throw their whatever they want to throw on it, their crap pile on it. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, my approach with it is, um, well, there's, there's kind of three elements here. One, the fact that the, unfortunately it doesn't look like the, um, rights battle is going to be settled anytime soon. Um, I'm hearing out of some camps that even no matter who wins, there's going to be an appeal and that appeal is actually going to drag it on even longer. Um, so that's kind of unfortunate. You know, the fact that, that we're not going to get a Friday the 13th, an official Friday the 13th film for probably an, an additional year. It's kind of tough. Um, in the meantime, it's not like anyone's like out there, like actively pitching and saying, okay, we got to get ready for Friday the 13th. Everyone's just literally waiting for the rights to settle before they even pick up the first pen and start figuring out what they want to do. Um, if I was lucky enough to get pulled in and pitched to somebody, I would pitch them never hike alone Two as a possible sequel. Um, and, but I also have another thing in my back pocket of, okay, so you guys don't like never hike alone Two, or you don't like that angle, like here's the other film that I've actually really only always wanted to make of Friday the 13th. And here's my pitch on that and how it can work. Um, but I do honestly think that never hike alone Two is the perfect answer for, for what's going on. And if we never get an opportunity to make it through, um, official production company, or if we never get an opportunity to pitch it or do anything like that, one thing I am going to pursue if the fans keep demanding it and there's enough support there, um, is to approach the rights holders and say, listen, like, we had a really successful run with this the first time. Fans want to see how this story is going to complete. I have, you know, I have an alumni on board here. You know, Tom's ready to come back. Andrew's ready to come back. I've got another alumni ready to come back. Um, and I'm building out, like, I have a lot of resources that want to come in and make this movie. It's just a matter of figuring out, can we get special permission to raise more than $50,000 to make the next film? You know, no one came out and explicitly said $50,000, although that is kind of the cap that I see where if you cross that line with a lot of properties, that's where people end up getting hit up. Because once you start raising that much money, it's tough to really say like, oh, yeah, all that money is definitely going into the film. Mm -hmm. Up to $50,000, if you're making a specific film and if you look at Never Hike Alone, you can tell that all of the money that we raised went into that film. Um, 
50 to 100, you can probably start to sneak stuff away, um, and it's tough to really track all the cost. You get up to something like $500,000 or a million, then people are really going to start asking questions. So it's about asking the right questions to the rights holders to be like, what stipulations do you want to see put in place if we raise a million bucks and we're able to make this a full-length feature and, and do these things? What, what do you want from us? And whatever you want, I'll give to you, um, even if you want a percentage just so we can make this film. And whatever you set my guideline to, I'll go back and rewrite to make sure that we fall under budget and you know we're able to make this film and not fall short. I respect that answer right there because, you like, again, you're a fan of the film. You're a fan of the franchise. You really want this to get out there for, for the other fans, which as a fan of the Friday the 13th franchise, Jason's my favorite slasher of all time. So I'm just like, I want to see more Jason. Like, I was even thinking about... um. With the Halloween movie coming out later this year, I'm like, okay, maybe if this movie, if it's actually a really good movie, and let's say it does really good in the box office and gets people going, you know, every weekend while the movie's out there, maybe the people with the Friday the 13th are big. You know what? Let's get this thing settled and let's, you know, let's get another Friday the 13th, but an excellent Friday the 13th movie out there and let's get that thing settled. Mm -hmm. But let's actually reach out to the fans, uh, like I said before, that can do these films, that have made these fan-made films and get some ideas from them or bring them on board because they really do care about it. And the fans, we really do deserve, I feel, whether it's with you guys doing it or someone else doing it, I feel we really do deserve a really excellent Friday the 13th film, maybe even two or three more films, maybe one. Mm-hmm. But just something that's really just so you can go back, you know, say 10 years from now, you'll go back and still watch this movie. Like, yo, this was a really excellent, excellent movie. Like yeah, never... I, think that, I think that Friday the 13th has that opportunity. Um, that's one of the one things about the franchise, I think, as fans that we've always noticed is like we love the films. We love them for what they are. A lot of them are tongue in cheek. Some of them make more sense than the others. Some of them are better than the others. But I think from my perspective as a fan, there's a lot of untapped potential, not only from the standpoint of some of the story elements that haven't been fully addressed mm-hmm. um, from how you can really you know, play Jason up as what he is and and how he operates and what makes him operate. Because I think there's actually a good emotional through line there that will make, I think that we've always understood that as fans, we've always to a certain degree sympathized with Jason because both he and his mother were victims. And it's an interesting place to have a, um, to have a character who's a villain come from. It's like when you can kind of like the best villains are always the ones that we can somewhat understand. And you can kind of see where they're coming from in their villainy. They're, they've, they've been wronged. They've been crossed. They have an intention, but they're not necessarily achieving it in the, the nicest way possible. And I think that, you know, Jason definitely has that. Jason has a very emotional backstory that you can understand and almost sympathize him with. There's like there's a little bit of Godzilla in him, too. It's like even though Godzilla is the king of the monsters and this big beast that destroys city, there's a sympathetic story to him because he was never supposed to be you know he was created by something else that was our fault as mankind so he's this beast unleashed on the world not necessarily knowing same thing with like a king kong and stuff like that so i think that jason has a lot of elements in that standpoint um the other standpoint is the fact that technology has increased tenfold since the 80s so all of these cool where you know friday the 13th as a paramount feature getting decent sized budgets was one of the leaders 
in the world of um, practical effects. So they were leading the cause out there in creating top, you know, top shelf practical effects that were being executed on screen that were leaving audiences running out of the theater with, you know, their hands over their eyes. And I think with today's technology, with what you can do with, you know, live action and, and real prosthetics, not CGI, but, you know, stuff that's right on screen, the way we can, I mean, with our budget and our talent, you know, Kelsey Burke goes out and creates that head of, of Andrew looked exactly like Andrew. I mean, we, we were, we had them side by side on set where they were both kneeling by, like Andrew was kneeling by the fake head and we're like, you can't tell, like it really looks like him. And so the, you know, the advancements we've made with practical effects are just insane. And the best, I can't think of a better, you know, film to test the bounds of practical effects in a slasher genre than Jason, because Jason takes it to that extra notch. I think, Halloween um, can do that, and I think this one will do it from what I've been seeing from some of the things, but I think that, that Michael is part of what makes Halloween Halloween is the mm. fact that it doesn't always show anything, and there's a little bit more hidden behind the camera, and they go on the aspects of, of what makes Michael Michael. And, J and part of what, J what makes Jason good is the fact that you know it has that giallo style you know we're gonna see the kill we're gonna see the axe hit the face we're gonna you know we're gonna see the the you know somebody get speared through and and we're gonna see a lot of blood so you know i think that fans deserve it especially after all the damage the mpaa did to the friday the 13th films in the 80s i think it's now time to see a film that's untouched or in today's perspective it like you know, those films would have breezed through the MPAA with some of the stuff that's come out nowadays, like yeah. in the soft films and all the torture porn that kind of came out in the, in the, you know, mid two thousands. Um, I think that, that you can do some really cool things and things that people have never seen before with Jason on screen. And I, and I think that that's what, what fans deserve. I, I agree with you a million percent on that. And again, with the whole Jason thing, like how he's this big brute, brutal killer and you know, like you were saying with Michael's more, you'll see a couple kills with Michael, but a lot of stuff is more off screen, which it works for mm -hmm. that. Cause that's what they've been doing for the whole franchise. But Jason's like always in your face. And one thing I did love about your movie too, was I actually have a question about this too. And um, this is when Jason and Kyle were in the cabin and they were upstairs. Mm -hmm. Now, did he throw him out of there when he put the sheet out of over him or did Jason or did Kyle jump or was it like a mix of both? Oh, he got tossed. I mean, what, what ended up happening is, is that it was something we figured out through the process because uh, we actually filmed a version of the of the door throw before we filmed the attic scene. And as we were filming the attic scene, um, I realized that as Kyle's grabbed, he's like wrapped in the sheet. And I was like, how cool would it have been if we threw Kyle out the out the door and had the sheet over him? Wouldn't that be kind of cool? And everyone was like, yeah, that would be really cool. And I ended up convincing the stunt team to come back and redo that stunt over one weekend where they needed to come back up and do some other stuff. Because mm -hmm. um, all the logistics that, that it took to figure out how to do that the first time um, were all figured out. So all we really had to do was spend, we, you know, we could spend a quarter of the time setting up that stunt because we knew exactly what to do. We knew exactly what we need and what we didn't need. There was no experimentation going on. It was just, we're going to get this really quick and go. And so Donnie Nichols, the stunt double for Andrew, um, was the one who did that stunt, jumped out, did a high fall blind. You know, we basically cut like one little, you know, hole for him to look out of. So you couldn't tell that it was the stunt actor. Um, 
and go from there. But yeah, it's definitely, I mean, leading up to it, you see that, you know, we go into the POV of the GoPro. Jason's got him wrapped up. We can obviously hear what's going on, but we can't really see, but we see that he's getting slowly dragged towards the, towards the door. Jason kicks the door back open. And then um, as the camera's thrust forward in a bit, you see, you know, we didn't really want to reveal Jason yet, but you see that he's been pushed. Um, and he's just trying to catch himself. And then we go into the POV of the GoPro and kind of go into that little camera sequence uh, before we do the big reveal of Jason, which is him jumping down, which we always thought would be a cool way to introduce him. Like here he comes down, like we just threw this guy off the roof. He hit the ground. He's hurting. He's crawling on the floor. And then Jason just takes one step, drops down. It's like no big deal. Mm-hmm. Walking right at him. And just, you know, it's just starting to establish the power of what this character is. Like things aren't going to hurt him like they hurt the character that he's going to try and kill. So it was uh, a lot of thinking went into that. That See, that scene, I love it so much because, as you know, as a fellow Friday the 13th fan, Jason's always throwing people through shit. And I just love that you guys brought that back and had him thrown. I'm like, yes. Yes, that oh, yeah. I needed to see that. Oh yeah, totally. Um, you know, the high fall is a stunt that was worked in. I want to say starting with the fourth film. I think the fourth film was the first time they do a high fall. They throw somebody, um, they throw somebody out of the top of the. I think one of the twins get thrown yep. out of the out of the thing, um, and then Trish gets thrown out. Oh, she jumps out. She does another high fall. Um, and then after that, they started doing them in part. You know, they did it in part five. Uh, I believe it's not Violet, but. One of the other girls gets tossed out of the second story window. Uh, they do it in part seven uh, when the girl finds the cat and then she gets tossed out the window there too. Um, so it became this this running thing. And that was one of the things we did when we were making Never Hike Alone. It was going back and looking at Friday the 13th and not just looking at it from a story perspective, but what types of stunts did they achieve? What types of action sequences were there? Were, how did they build these films structurally from a production standpoint? Mm-hmm. And when we got to the camp, we saw that door and I went, oh, there's our opportunity to do a high fall. I wonder how I wonder how much that's going to cost or I wonder how we're going to pull this off. Um, there's got to be a way to do it. And, you know, and so we figured it out. It was just, you know, figuring out what logistics we had, how closely we could match to a Friday the 13th, you know, from our standpoint, the greatest hits um, of what all the films had to offer and put them all in one film. And then, you know, then figure out how to achieve it. And you guys did great by that. Now, with the um, Friday the 13th, the game, I don't know the whole thing because I didn't really hear anything about it, but the whole Ghost Jason thing with you guys having your Jason in that game, what's, what was mm-hmm. that all about? Um, there was a lot of things that happened with that. Uh, it's kind of funny, but we ended up getting our Ghost Jason into the puzzle game, okay. uh, which is on um, which is on mobile games. So it's on Android, it's on you know the iTunes store, and it's on Steam. And so it's just a little puzzle game, and... The graphics are really, you know, simple, um, you know, because it's supposed to function on, you know, things like phones and things like that. Um, and the the creators of the puzzle game, we got in contact with them, I want to say a month or two after Never Hike Alone release, and it started to kind of grow in popularity. And they were looking for ideas for Jason. I think that they were saying like, oh, you can send us a picture of yourself and we might put you in the game. It was kind of a contest they were doing, I think. Mm -hmm. And I just sent them a message off the cuff like, well, what do you think about putting our ghost Jason or our Kyle in the game? That'd be a cool little nod to the fans if you guys are cool with that. And they got us back to us right away. And they were like, this actually might be a really cool idea. Let us clear it with legal. Let us figure out how we can do it. And then we'll get back to you. And you know, whatever conversations they had, whatever they did, they were able to do it. We ended up putting together a plan in December of 2017 to get it into the game before their launch on January 22nd. So Ghost Jason has been hidden in the game for quite a while. 
Uh, but they were like, we're going to wait for us. You know, they asked us, they're like, do you have any special things coming up? Do you have anything coming up that, you know, you'd want to release this with it? You kind of combo. And so we talked about some times and then eventually July uh, 13th got decided upon and we went out. So in that time, you know, the, the Friday, the 13th, the game, the game, um, those guys had reached out to us very early on in our process, not to so much get ghost Jason into the game, but just as supporters, they helped us with one of our kickstarters where they lobbied support for us. They tweeted about us, um, got us some attention and, you know, Ronnie and Randy were very big supporters of the film. You know, Wes has had a lot of great things to say about the film. I got to meet him as well. Um, and, you know, we kind of cheekily threw out, what do you think about Ghost Jason being in the film here or there? It was never like, yeah, it's definitely going in. And we, and, you know, eventually what ended up happening was in the summer of 2017, um, the guys from the game, because now we had been talking for about six, seven months now, um, were in Los Angeles filming some of the second round of mocap. A lot of the stuff that you see in the single player game and the um and a lot of the new kills that came out were done during that mocap session and once i saw they were like not far from me i said hey you guys mind if i come and just check out the mocap session i'd love to see this thing in progress and they invited me down i got to hang out um found out a lot about the game while i was there a lot of things that were coming into the game that eventually came out like shelly being in the game and the part four jason and um you know, some of the stuff about Jason X and some of the maps that they were working on. So it was cool to see it from behind the surface. I kept my mouth shut. I didn't say anything. And as things were released, I was like, yes, finally. Oh, I knew Roy was coming into the game. I was so pumped about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was like, it's so funny that Roy will be in there. And it'll be, I'm interested to see how he will work if he can take a shotgun to the chest and get back up. But they were like, yeah, he's just going to work with Jason Mechanics. So, um, so that started that. And somewhere along the line, I did ask I asked Ronnie, I said, well, if, like, if you guys get further enough down the line, would you consider putting Joe's, Ghost Jason in the film? And he said, listen, if it was up to me and I could control everything in the world and there were, you know, un, un you know, tapped resources, he would be in the game already. Like, definitely. That would be a lot of fun. I think that fans would really be digging it. But there's legal restrictions, obviously. Um, and I think they have a different legal, different legal restrictions from the puzzle game. They have different lawyers. They have different deals in place. So things work differently for both things. They don't have the same, the same contracts. Um, second of all, it's very expensive for them to build a model in their game. So building those, um, building those characters and going through all that stuff takes a lot of time. Takes mm-hmm. way, like, like I'm talking about things that you know, summer of 2016. We weren't seeing things released until spring of. 20, you know, 2018 or 20, you know, 2017 to 2018. So it was taking months and months and months and months for them to build this stuff. And it may have even been spring. Um, so when our character hit the, the bricks and like everyone said, you know, here comes ghost Jason for the puzzle game. And, you know, Friday the 13th, the game just released their statement saying, Hey, we can't release anything. Fans got confused. They were like, wait, how did they do this? Why can't, you know, you, if this game can get ghost Jason, why can't the new game get Jason X? And I think it was less about, Friday the 13th, the game getting ghost Jason and more about why can't we get Jason X if he was already in the game. And like I said, from my perspective, I know that they have different lawyers. I know that they have different deals. They have to. Um, and that's the only way you could know is if you were one of the lawyers or you're one of them. And after personally getting to know the devs and having some time to spend with them, I can tell you that the people who were most let down by not being able to put more stuff in the game was them. You know, they had a lot of plans. They had a lot of fun things that they were working on. You know, Jason X, Grendel Map included. Um, and some more fun stuff. I know they had more kills that they wanted to do. Some stuff that I saw on the floor that was really cool that I, like, that I hadn't seen come out. So I was like, oh, this is kind of a bummer because they had a lot of, lot of plans. So it's just a hot button issue. I know that fans are really let down by that. 
Um, and if anything, if I could say to them is that we're all victims in this, you know, those guys are big fans. This is a fan, you know, like we made a fan film, they made a fan game. I mean, yeah. they're just fans. They're not, they're not a professional company. They're not Blizzard. They're not Rockstar. They're, they don't have all the resources in the world. Literally what they raised was what they were able to make this game with. Um, and they did it as fans. And that's impressive. The fact that we have a game, it plays, it's out on three different consoles, you know, well, two different consoles and then, you know, computers. Um, that's amazing because we didn't have a Friday the 13th game any time before this other than 1988. And that thing barely made sense. It was barely <laughs> playable. So, you know, it, yeah, we don't get all the bells and whistles that we wanted. And it's unfortunate. But at the same time, it's like it's the legal, you know, it's the legal thing. And it's really messing with a lot of stuff. And, you know, fans are the ones that are suffering. And, you know, the devs are fans and they're included in that. Big shout out to those guys. I shit before this podcast i was playing that game for a little bit it's such a, it's a fun replayable game people say it is repetitive it is but at the same time if you got a good group of people playing that you can play that thing for hours and hours and hours and it's it's one of those games where like when you get killed by jason you don't get pissed off like you would in any other game I'm like wow that was a fucking awesome kill <laughs> i'm gonna go back so and try when you to get slashed <laughs> like every time i get slashed i'm like come on you couldn't grab me i mean i'm limping <laughs> around yeah i've I um every time I play that game and I'm not Jason, I'll go around the cabins, find a weapon, and I go look for Jason. I'm like, I want action. I want to fight Jason. I know I'm not gonna win, but I'm gonna try at least. I don't want to go for the car. I don't want to go for the boat and all that other shit. I want to go after. J I want to go after Jason. It's, I'm addicted it's to like fixing stuff. I just love the aspect of grabbing something, running across the map, fixing something, and then as soon as everything's fixed, I don't try to escape right away. Like I try to get as many points as possible, so I mm -hmm. try to fix stuff. And then I go find Jason, get my hit points in, and then try to escape from there. I just, I, don't, I was playing, like earlier, me and my brother were playing, just, just me and him going back and forth, playing Jason, killing each other back and forth. And it's just, it's such an addicting game. And it really, really is. Totally. And shit, same with your guys' movie, Never Hike Alone. It's, it's a great, great film. And I, no, more people need to go watch that film and just check it out. And go in there. I understand if you, they do go in there like I did with the low expectations, but I promise you, those expectations. You watch that movie and you be like, "What? Holy shit! Why didn't I watch this months ago?" Well, hopefully the you know the plays keep going up, and um, you know the more fan support that gets behind it, the more plays that we get, you know, more eyes we get on it, and the more that we see people supporting it. Um, you know, I think that more than anything, it's just, it's just going to prove our case to go in and at least be a spokesperson for the fans to say, listen, we have an idea of where this franchise can go. We have, and if you don't want to do our film, at least we can give you a bunch of do's and don'ts um, for what worked for us and how this can work and some certain opportunities and certain scenes that maybe they might be in Never Hike Alone too, but if they were, they can be worked into other films too. It's just situations and just certain kills. And I mean, I've got like a laundry list of kills that I've always wanted to see in these films and a laundry list of like situations that I think would be really creepy. Um, that I think would play off well in a film. Um, so I'd love to just go pitch these ideas. And then if I could somehow just be connected to it, you know, if I'm on the production team, if, if I get to direct it, if I get to be a part of the writing team or the development team, I would, that would be a dream come true for me. That would be amazing. I would love to see Jason in the winter because people do go camping in the winter. And I just keep thinking of the blood on the snow, kill with ice somehow. And just, the kills in the winter would be nuts. They would be fun. Mm -hmm. I know some would be funny, but just see, 
people going ice skating, seeing Jason throw somebody through the ice would be fucking wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's something we've never seen explored before. That'd be a really cool aspect. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of places it can go. And, and you can do – it's just different situations. It's just you know getting the right characters in there, getting the right motivation, and then just kind of building it into a bigger story. I think one of the biggest mistakes you can make um, with a Friday the 13th is thinking that you're making the last one. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think you can go into it and you definitely got to put, you need to do something to Jason that's going to put him down. That's at least going to do that. Um, and it should be fantastic and awe-inspiring and we should all go, holy crap, like, I can't believe they did that to Jason. And then the next thing you're going to think of is like, well, I wonder how he's going to come back from this. Yes. How's he going to come back from that? And I think that w- that was one of my big letdowns from 2009. I was like, here's a completely human Jason. They stuck his head in a tree trimmer and then stabbed him through the heart with a machete. How is he coming back from this? If he's not undead or supernatural, it just, it didn't feel like it fit into, it just, I don't know. I just felt like it broke a lot of rules for me. And I was like, I just, I don't know. Now I'm just getting taken out of the film because I'm thinking about it too much. I just, and I didn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, when you think about him getting an ax to the face or the machete to the face or the machete to the shoulder or being sunk to the bottom of the, of the lake, there's, they were such iconic moments that like it was one fell swoop of an action and in 2009 it was like three or four things happening in sequence and you're like what is like there's no one like <laughs> yeah. just bam it's done there it is there's the move that took him down it's like a series of moves that kind of did and you're like uh that wasn't it, it like there was no crescendo to it it was just like this flat note <laughs> that you're like oh that that's how he gets it oh all right you kind of walk away kind of in my perspective. I just, I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied with that ending. I didn't feel like it, it ended as big as it could have or should have. I can see, I can, I can understand that. And then you're going from it with the whole creative, you know, the creative mind you have with being, you know, the writing and the directing and all that. So now that you're saying all this stuff, I'm like, damn, I gotta, I gotta rewatch this film and think about it some more. (laughs) Yeah. The more I watched that film over time, the more and more I just got like, I would just find something else that was just off about it. And there were just little things that I was like, ah, I, I understand what they were trying to do, but at the same time, why did they do this? Yeah. And, you know, it's, you, in, you know, it's like in the moment, everybody has their own decisions. And when you have your own movie, you get to do whatever you want. And they made the decisions they did. And they, they believe in a very specific Jason. I know that whole team like really believes in like a human Jason who survived the drowning as a kid and, and all these different things. Um, but even from that aspect, I, I like if you sat and watched the film with me, I could point out very specific things throughout that film that actually take their theory and undo it. Mm-hmm. And they're like their own, like they're undoing their own theory as they're going. They're un, they're actually going against what they are, like what I read in interviews and what I saw, what the film was trying to say in one moment, and then it says the exact opposite thing in the next. It was like I was like I feel like this is like a series of half thought out ideas that were then executed half-assed like yeah. finding the mask um like even the original scene of him cutting off the guy's head and taking it off his head it was like that film the way i mean that scene the way it was shot wasn't very impactful and it wasn't very um and it wasn't scary even the second one too it was like it just kind of felt everything felt forced you know what i mean it felt like they were trying to force in ideas rather than coming to a natural progression in the story where like something happens and like you will see it naturally progress to that later on but it doesn't feel like, wait, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, in Never Hike Alone, we set up that 
that no trespassing sign sing. It was like we bait and switched it because we we're like, oh, cool. Remember this no trespassing sign from part two? And you know exactly where he is right now if you're a Friday the 13th fan. Well, we're setting this up for a very specific reason because when he trips over something later on in the film, we don't want a character that just trips over nothing. We want to set something up that he's going to trip over and it's going to have an effect. It's a barbed wire fence. And that's the, you know, it kind of sets that up. And so when it happens later on in the film, it's something that's been set up that you didn't necessarily, you could have guessed it. If you're really trying to think that way, you could have guessed that that was probably what was going to happen. But when it happens, it feels like, oh, that makes sense. Yes, this is like, this feels right. I'm not taken out of the movie. This feels like a natural progression of where this action could have gone. Of course, he's not going to be looking where he's running. He's like looking behind him and looking forward and that's a low fence and it's not, it doesn't really stand out. It's dark and you know, all these different things. It's like, those are the things you want to film to do. You want to film to catch you off guard. You don't want to film to then throw you off guard because all of a sudden they're shoehorning in a scene where he needs to find a mask so we'll just have him rip off the mask and he'll lift up something and he'll find the mask and put it on and look in a mirror and walk away it's kind of like ugh. like in part three shelly scares somebody with the mask and then when jason shows up later on he's obviously trying to hide his identity so someone thinks that he's shelly it's worked into the story in a natural way that makes you go oh okay and obviously they didn't think that mask was going to carry on through you know 10 more films but it's it felt natural and it felt like it was a natural progression of the story and that's where i feel like the most modern story of, of, of 2009 it it falls out of that a lot it feels like all of a sudden something's happening for the sake of it happening rather than being led into a position where you are actually experiencing it with the actors naturally and you're experiencing it with the characters naturally and it feels natural in the film that that's the biggest that's my biggest kind of critique of 2009 is that there's a lot of cool scenes, but none of it feels like it naturally fits in there. Like, I love the axe throw scene. Like, I think that's one of the best scenes in the entire franchise. And I could pick that moment out and say, this is like my favorite part in the film. But as a film, it's not as coherent as even some of the less coherent films in the 80s, which at least tried a little bit to pepper things in along the way. Okay, yep. I I get what you're saying now. And now, I'm, like I said, I'm really going to have to rewatch this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now... I got a question for those of us fans who were not lucky enough to be able to back it early. Like I did the backing as far as getting the Blu-ray. Is there any way that fans can get the masks that didn't get that part of, you know, that part of the backing? Yeah. And then uh, just really quickly, I don't, I don't want to cut you off. I'm probably gonna have to get going in a second. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Okay. Um, but I can definitely end on, on this uh, question very easily. Um, so Blu-rays, uh, we ordered extra just because we need to make sure that the Indiegogo backers that backed us, um, in case anyone gets a disc that breaks in the mail or doesn't work for some reason, it's faulty, uh, we have like a we have a section of back stock that we're going to have to replace those. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't anticipate having a lot of that stuff. Um, so we're hoping that we're able to get all the Blu-rays out, we don't have any issues, and then we'll have a little back stock where people can contact us, and we've already started this, which is a wait list. Um, if you write to contact at wompstompfilms.com, W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-S, um, we'll put you on a wait list for a Blu-ray. Um, there might only be like 100, there might only be 150. I don't know how it's really going to pan out, um, but we'll try to get as many people as possible before we you know, run out of Blu-rays. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the mask, that's being done by Brandon Scott Murphy of, um, of Sculptor Die. He's doing 50 masks right now. That's what was sold through the Indiegogo. Once those masks are shipped to me and I send them out to all the Indiegogo backers and 
Brandon takes a break because he's doing a ton. I mean, it's a <laughs> lot of masks. Yeah. Um, he's going to take a little bit of a break. He has a few more commissions that he has to do because he's, you know, is a very in-demand artist. Once he is done and he has another open schedule, we're going to make an announcement and we'll probably put them through the Sculptor Die website and you can just order it through there and he'll figure out how many he wants to do in batches at a time so it doesn't, you know, so he doesn't get a, you know, a request for 100 and then get stuck working on 100 masks for three months. Um, we want to make sure that he's able to balance the mask load with everything else that he's working on so it's just not making the mask and that's it. Plus, if you make them in batches larger than, say, 50 over a certain period of time, you also lose mask... Um, quality mm -hmm. we definitely don't want that we don't want anybody to spend money on a mask get it and be disappointed with it um every mask is getting molded from the original mold it's the screen you know it's the screen used mask um it's the exact same mold that we use to make that and you know all the materials that we had done at cfx to originally make that mask all that same stuff is being applied um you know you're basically getting a one-for-one -one with uh the mask that we use in the film that's that's so freaking awesome and as soon as those come out, I'm going to have to go and grab one. I, could, I was lucky enough to do the Blu-ray, but not the Oh, that's great. Yet. Oh, that's awesome. I'm glad you were able to get the Blu-ray. The, um, yeah, I mean, just keep an eye on our, on our social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. We're pretty active on all three, Instagram the most. The moment we know that they're going to be active, we're going to make posts everywhere. We'll send stuff out to FridayThe13thFranchise.com and, you know, other horror websites that, that have been very kind to us um, and post the news about the film. We'll make sure that they get the update and as many people, you know, know about it as possible once we're ready to go down that avenue. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. And again, man, thank you for giving me the opportunity to discuss this with you on here and... I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to call up, talk to Scarecon, whatever, see if they'll listen to me <laughs> and get you guys there. And, I mean, if you have anything you want to plug before you go, man, you can go ahead and do that now, and then I'll wrap this up. Yeah, I mean, like, like I just said, everyone should follow us on social media. Definitely follow our YouTube channel. Uh, we got some new and exciting projects coming out this year. One of them is a partnership with Renee Rivas Productions called The Spirit of Haddonfield. It's a Halloween fan film that will be coming out on October 1st on the Renee Rivas Productions YouTube. I will be playing Michael Myers in that film, or I have already played Michael Myers in that film. Uh, we filmed it last Last, around last Halloween and over the winter, we finished it up. So it's a real fun, like, 20-minute short that we think people are really going to dig. Um, unlike Never Hike Alone, it's not a giantly funded film. It's more showcasing what can be done by filmmakers who have a creative mind and can do it with very little budget. I don't think Renee spent more than $500 on this thing out of personal money of himself. Um, so it's really cool to see what he was able to pull off with that. It was a lot of fun playing Michael. We're also going to be launching a new Indiegogo campaign for a new film through Stomp Films. It's going to be our first original production called Pathosis. It will be directed mm. by my good friend Austin Bonang, who's a pre-visualization artist, um, who's worked on 20, you know, 20 blockbusters that you've seen in the last couple of years, including Godzilla and King of the Monsters. He's working on Avatar 2 right now. This will be his directorial debut. It will be for a short. Uh, we'll be running a campaign on Indiegogo. Hopefully to raise between ten and fifteen thousand dollars, so we can. Um, our goal with this is to not only make this short, but also pitch it as a feature film, and show what we're able to do on a smaller scale. Like basically, instead of spreading out you know, fifteen thousand dollars over fifty minutes, we're going to put that into you know fifteen to twenty minutes worth of footage that will show you the real quality of camera work and production value that we can put into a film to just show people that we're ready to uh, take on a much larger project. That's freaking awesome, man. And again, thanks again for coming on. I would love to have you guys, you on again or any part of your team with any type of 
fan-made horror film you guys are doing to, you know, promote it, get it out there somehow, definitely send me cool. an email, and I would love to do this again. And again, thank well you do. again for being on here, and I guess I can wrap it up. So, ladies and gentlemen who got to listen to this awesome episode, or when you, you know, when it comes out, thanks for listening, and as always, I'll see you in your nightmare.